Blog Talk Radio. There's some dangerous large uh, carnivore out there. Yeah, I saw that bird pick a young deer off the road and fly away. And uh, it was just about getting dark, and we started panicking, running down the bridge, not really having any clue what was throwing rocks in our vicinity, good-sized rocks. And uh, I stopped long enough to get a 357 out of my backpack and looked back, and that's when I thought I saw one. It's actually attacked two railroad workers, uh, killed livestock. You know, just a lot of weird stuff that was going on. Sasquatch Coffee Company, come check out our uh, sample packs at www.squatchcoffee.com. Uh, we got a couple different varieties. We've now up to like 18 different uh, varieties of Sasquatch Coffee, so um, more more uh, kinds of coffee than you can shake a Squatch at. So with me today, as always, is a uh, good friend and uh, fellow Bigfoot researcher, Shane Corson. Good afternoon, Shane. How you doing, buddy? Good afternoon, Gunner. Doing well, as always, and uh, really looking forward to this show with Tom. Yeah, this is a little different for uh, Monster X. We haven't, you know, but we're going to tie it into some Bigfoot, of course, because that's what we do. <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, yeah, I, be, uh, it was funny. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, it should be a fantastic show. Uh, uh, you know, I, I've admired Tom for a long time, and... Uh, and uh, he's just a great all-around guy, but very knowledgeable on the subject. So should be a fantastic show, and uh, looking forward to uh, Tom's thoughts. And, and we will, like you said, work in some squatchy stuff in there and uh, some of our own ideas and thoughts and opinions with it. So fantastic. Yeah, yeah it's funny because Tom was probably one of the first people I met when I started going to Hopsquatch, and uh, and he was a quiet man, but, <laughs> but it was uh, always – I, I didn't even know what he did till I I was uh, he came to Peter Burns' 90th birthday party and I was I said what what is it that you do and he said well I run this website on about the, the Zodiac Killer and I went oh that's cool and uh, so I like, that makes you know then I got talking to you and we decided that that would be uh, you know 
what's the most scariest monster out there is, is human monsters and people that, you know, serial killers and, and, uh, and they're hu- humans are the most scary monsters in the woods. So, um, indeed. Yeah. Pretty cool. So what have you been up to this week? You done any squatching or? You know, I, I, uh, I actually took this weekend off. Uh, I'm in the process of trying to sell my house and, uh, being, you know, Labor Day weekend, I figured it might be busy in a few places. So, Laid low this weekend. Uh, did some, uh, just did some online research. Uh, looked at a few reports online, and uh, just been laying low, getting ready to sell my house. That's about it. Real exciting. So anybody out there looking for a house in the Portland area, get old Shane. <laughs> so you want to move? You want to move closer to the woods? Yeah, you know, I live kind of in suburbia, um, but I'm not too far away from you know the mountains, the ocean, anywhere. It's a great location. I just want to be able to walk out my backyard and uh, head for the mountain. Uh, in, in, you know, I got a few areas uh, I've been keen on for a number of years now, and that's kind of where I'm, my focus is for moving to. And so I'd like some property and basically, uh, you know, an area where I can do a lot of research. You know, I, I kind of look at like as a, you know, when you get writer's block, and not that I have squatch block or <laughs> writer's block uh-huh. like that, but you get inspired when you're out in the woods and um i think you know i just like to be closer to nature in general and closer to my passion and so that's my goal and i got the okay from the wifey and uh, i know my daughter loves you know camping in the woods and everything so it's just a win-win and i can't wait well cool so you are you going to start a habituating is that what your your goal is uh, to start a... no i'm not i'm not huge on it habituation i'm not you know it's not really my forte i I haven't really seen any really really concrete evidence that habituation is um something that works or is uh, factual yet and so habituation no no no. i just i want to you know continue on what i've been doing and that's just uh researching the subject both online in the woods uh and and looking for evidence thereof and uh you know uh Continuing on with my passion. That's my goal. <laughs> Bituation's not cool. really on, on the plate. But, uh, yeah, what about yourself, Gunnar? What have you been up to this weekend? You know, I've actually been, I would, after last week, I'm scared out of the woods with like, thunder and lightning. No. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, we had, we yeah, had a little bit of an adventure. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like you said, it, it being Labor Day weekend, I imagine there's quite a few people out um, in uh, in the woods, you know, and, and uh, who knows with the the with finding Bigfoot? You, I think there's a lot more people out there that go out and yell and and uh, knock on trees and stuff. When so I don't I don't want to record a bunch of that stuff. So but right. uh, so I just took it easy this weekend. Did cut up some stuff around the house and and did some reading and stuff. So and of course I was reading, looking at Tom's website and and uh, reading some. Um, I was reading about the the Yosemite killer, which we'll talk about with Tom. But the, oh, yeah, yeah, really good stuff. Yeah, uh, he has, he has, he is somebody that has a Bigfoot, at least a Bigfoot story connection. So, um, mm-hmm. and that's Kerry uh, Stainer, I think the guy's name was back yes, in. Correct. You yeah. you were living down in in close to, or in California anyway, when that happened. Is that correct? Yeah, I was in Southern California when these uh, and was uh, dating somebody that was working up in Yosemite at the time, and this was gotcha. the late '90s, and 
Yeah, and so um, I didn't realize there was an actual Bigfoot connection to the whole thing until much later after looking into it some more. Uh, if you want to call it a Bigfoot connection, it's just one man's, you know, the, the serial killer's uh, idea or, uh, you know, his fascination with Bigfoot as well. So there was a connection there. Um, but, uh, yeah, not uh, – I was in San Diego, and this happened up at Yosemite, which was, you know, one of my old stomping grounds, but eight- or nine-hour drive for me, sometimes a little bit more if I made more stops. So not super close to this this area. But yeah, that was uh, interesting anyway. So, Well, mm-hmm. I'm ready. Yeah. I'm, I've been chomping at the bit, actually, to, to talk to Tom all week. So actually, he and yeah, I had – Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, we met uh, – got together on Thursday and chatted and all of a sudden we looked up and it time had flown by. So um, without further ado, let's bring Tom on. Hey, Tom, how you doing? I'm good. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can. Okay, great. Thanks for the invite. (laughs) Oh, thanks for coming on. Well, Gunnar, if I was quiet when you met me at Hup Squatch, it was probably because I had too many of those super dogs. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not really used to having beer uh, when it's light outside, and those meetings are always at noon. And I had, uh, I think I had maybe a couple super dogs, and I realized they were like nine percent. And uh, I think my mouth just stopped working right about that point. <laughs> <laughs> That's always what they say about serial killers, though. So, first question, Tom: Are you the Zodiac killer? No, I've been asked that <laughs> enough times. That's an easy answer. Unless I have a alternate personality, which I guess is possible. Well, you would have been pretty young about the time. Yeah, you would have been young, pretty uh, pretty young at the time of the Zodiac killer killings. That's true, but eyewitness descriptions are notoriously inaccurate. So maybe they were looking at a two year old and just didn't realize it. <laughs> the toddler, the chain, the name needs to uh, to be changed. The toddler killer. So. So tell me a little bit. Of, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, and how did you get into to uh, studying the, the Zodiac killer? I think it's in my uh, biology. My dad was a investigative reporter in California in the sixties and seventies, and and that's the environment I was brought up in. And I've always been interested in oddities and mysteries, and the Zodiac is both. It's a lot like Bigfoot. It's an oddity and a mystery, and uh, a lot of interesting people. Uh, and theories are are involved, and I've been really I can't really control it. I have to research it. It's been passion of mine since I was very young. So I was Bigfoot actually, and of course my parents would move us from California to Oregon, where all the crazy <laughs> stuff in Oregon was happening in the 70s. We had DB Cooper and Bigfoot, and and the, the Rajneeshis, and this, every crazy thing was happening. That's that's the environment I grew up in. So um, as an adult, I was. Uh, I'm reminded of the Zodiac case from when I was really young watching the news clips on TV and it just became something I needed to, uh, a puzzle I had to solve. So, and and you actually are considered one of the preeminent experts on the Zodiac killer. I saw well, a, I, a documentary. I hope so after all this time, uh, after all yep. this time and after all the, you know, billions of website hits, I hope I'm considered. I know I've dug up more documents and evidence than, than anyone else, um, uh, you know, the police, uh, each jurisdiction, each crime happened in a different jurisdiction. So uh, the law enforcement agencies had their own separate pieces of evidence, but nothing was ever brought, uh, you know, into into the public eye until until 1998, when uh, 
when I launched ZodiacCo.com and, and took all the information that I had been able to, you know, go into the police departments and and make photocopies. They were they were just uh, I guess they were I don't I don't really know how I talked my way into the departments and got access to all the evidence, but I had you know these these sheriffs and and <laughs> police chiefs and so forth that were basically making copies for me and they were like my secretary and I, I don't know how I did that. It's been a, it's been <laughs> long enough. I can't I can't remember how I actually. I'm I just I guess I'm just a really good salesman. I don't know, but uh, all the information that I got from the police departments, most of it had never been seen by the public, and so so when I put it on the website, it was pretty much an instant hit. As you said, you are uh, started a website called thezodiackiller.com, and uh, I was reading like the what is it? One month you had 37 million hits on that site. That's correct. That was the month that uh, that was what was it? March of 2007, when that Robert Downey Jr. movie came out about the Zodiac case, and that that month was 37 million. That was a bit, actually it was probably more than 37 million because by let's see, with about 10 days to go that month, the server couldn't calculate hits any longer. It was just over overwhelmed. So probably closer to 45 million, I guess. Usually it's about five million. Yeah, that's that's, that's still, still a lot. What? Yeah, it is a lot. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Well, it just goes to show how many people are interested in this type of material. But I don't cater to people that are looking to look at bloody photos or something like that. This, um, the site's never been about um, gore or or anything. It's really just a, it's it's meant to be a, a clearinghouse for for information, police reports, crime scene photos, anything that might eventually crack the case. Um, somebody somewhere in the world might notice something that has eluded everyone else all these years and it might, it might solve the case. That was the idea from the beginning that so I don't, I don't, um, I, I, d- I definitely avoid putting any photographs out there that might attract, you know, people that want to, the people that used to read those old detective magazines in the seventies with all the gore. I don't really want to attract those people. Right. Hey, so your goal, your, your, your reason for doing it is you want the, you want the guy to get caught. I mean, you want to solve the mystery, participate in solving the mystery. That's correct. It's definitely a solvable case. It's not like uh, Jack the Ripper that will probably never be. I, I doubt Jack the Ripper will ever be solved because the evidence was most of it was lost and or stored improperly. The Zodiac case will probably end up being like the Green River Killer, where it was cold for a long time, and and or the BTK Strangler in Wichita, where it was uh, it was it was big news and the killer was very active, and then it went cold for ten, twenty years, and people thought it's never going to be solved. But those cases were solved eventually, and I think Zodiac will as well because the the evidence is still stored. Most of it's online now, so it'll never go away. And right. people around the world can work on it and uh, and then send their findings to me or to the police. Usually they send the, their findings to, to the police and don't get a response, and so they send it to me. Um, and the police department's really kind of... Um, they usually recommend, if they get any media inquiries or, or so forth, they usually send them right to my website, which is pretty cool. Oh, that's awesome. Well, speaking of which, I mean, have 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 any police departments worked with you or sought you out for your knowledge on the subject matter? Most recently, the FBI's um, uh, cryptography uh, department in, in Quantico, Virginia, the um, the head of that department um, contacted me. He felt like uh, that they had a clue. Uh, one of the Zodiac's puzzles was... Uh, the FBI felt like um, it was unsolved, but they had a, uh, an idea on how to solve it, and so they they contacted me and, and wanted me to um, 
relay a message to all the readers of the website. Uh, and then, and th- so that was pretty cool that they, that they came to me for that. Usually when I get, I've been subpoenaed for information. Um, I've had people post uh, in my discussion forum and it, and, and the post to the police looked like it could have been made by the killer. And so I get subpoenaed for my website uh, <laughs> files, my server information. And, and occasionally I do get messages from the police departments that they want me to put on the website, I guess, just uh, either to show that they're still investigating or because they have a secret message for the, for the, the Zodiac killer, who they think it might be. I don't know. Sometimes they keep me in the dark. But whenever I get contacted by the police, I usually follow pretty closely along with what they want me to do. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> well, you know, Tom, uh, you know, for a lot of the audience, you know, I, I'm sure that with the Zodiac Killer, a lot of people know uh, of the crimes or of the case uh, and whatnot as much as they can know. Do you mind just uh, explain a little bit about uh, uh, wh- this, what the Zodiac Killer had done, what he's about, and, and why it's such a mystery uh, to this day as to who who this, this person is? Uh, the Zodiac Killer was... Uh, uh, he's it's an unsolved uh, serial killer case, although he was more like a domestic terrorist uh, in retrospect uh, than a typical serial killer. He didn't have a sexual motive or uh, any other known motive. Um, he would commit uh, a violent act, and then he would take credit for it with uh, a communication with the news media. And then he would, in his communication, he would demand that uh, his uh, agenda be met they had to meet his agenda or he would commit future acts. And so he was a lot like a typical domestic terrorist, um, other than the fact that his agenda was really strange. He didn't want, uh, you know, political prisoners to be freed or the or the poor to be uh, fed or anything like that. He wanted uh, his puzzles to be published on the front page of newspapers, and he wanted uh, people to wear buttons with his cross-circle symbol that he gave himself uh, on the buttons. Um, so it was really unusual at that point. So the so the police figured he must be a maniac or mentally ill. But in retrospect, um, he was legally sane, and he just had this agenda that um, was different than other terrorists. But he was definitely a terrorist. He did target primarily young couples in California in the late 1960s, and he wrote upwards of 25 letters. Uh, he would include physical evidence in the letters so that uh, the authorities would know that the letter was really from him and not from a copycat and uh, made a few phone calls here and there and eventually by 1974 pretty much disappeared um, and lots of theories about what happened to him. Some people think he he was put in a mental institution or that he got caught for another crime and was in prison but uh, eventually in 1990 another letter emerged and uh, and so seemingly he was just, he just decided one day to just quit being the Zodiac Killer which was probably a relief to be able to do that I would think well, the, that's that's unusual. I mean, because uh, for the the most part, serial killers are driven by compulsion. I mean, the behavior out of their control. So that that lends credence to maybe that wasn't a true serial killer. He was, like you say, a, a, I mean, if you think back to the that time frame too, there was a lot of social upheaval. The, the uh, you know, we're talking about the time of frame with. Vietnam War and and a lot of demonstrations and there were and, and talking to you it reminded me that that time was when people were actually calling for civil disobedience and calling for acts 
of of, uh, of violence and stuff to to protest the Vietnam War and and basically so. There's a lot of what, what's well, weird about that, that was especially centered around Berkeley, California, the uh, UC Berkeley uh, University, and that's of course that was the right across from San Francisco where the Zodiac was was most active, and the timing is perfect. And there were other groups around the country that were that were you know revolutionary counterculture groups that were committing these type of acts. They were domestic terrorists like the Weather Underground and the SLA, which was the group that Patty Hearst was involved with. And they all did the same thing. They would commit a violent act, whether it was blowing up a plane or, or setting fire to a, something or, or killing someone, and they would take credit for it with a communication to the news media. Sometimes it was a cassette. Sometimes it was a letter. And they always they had the same formula. They would then you know, claim, okay, I'm going to keep doing this unless you meet my terms. And that's, that's the recipe to be a domestic terrorist. And at the time, people thought Zodiac must be some sex-crazed lunatic because he was targeting couples, but he never did it. He, he never molested the couples. He never robbed anybody. Uh, he seemed to be targeting people that the community cared about so that his crimes would be more taken more seriously, and then his letters, his subsequent letters, would then get more attention. But the letters were primarily, um, they didn't really have the typical demands that you would expect, and, and when you look at all the letters in their entirety, they were pretty much uh, focused on humiliate, humiliating authority figures like the police and to make them look inept. And that is also something that, that the uh, counterculture newspapers and, and people who were trying to overthrow the government, they, they all recommended to do that, to make the authorities look inept. And then, and then people like us would, would try, would realize that maybe there's a better way to live, maybe we need to get different elected officials and so forth. So it was all part of the same recipe for the, the revolution that, that people wanted back in the 60s and 70s that it's kind of forgotten these days, but there are a significant amount of the country, especially young people, wanted to overthrow the government, and they were very, very active and violent about it. And how did how did the Zodiac Killer, I mean, how did he go about uh, murdering these folks? Uh, was there was it always the same method? Uh, did it, was, was there differences uh, between one killing and another? Well, usually it was impersonal with, with a, a gun and that was about it but there was one probably his most famous crime where he dressed up uh, apparently at the time it was it was um, theorized that he was dressing up like a medieval executioner because he had this black outfit with kind of a square hood uh, square on top but um, and that was the popular theory for 45 years is that he was he was trying to look like an executioner but uh, a few months ago uh, during my research I found that at the, at, this, at the same month that this crime occurred uh, where he used a knife on his victims and he dressed up supposedly as an executioner, that same month, uh, a couple of weeks prior, uh, there was a, a photograph that was in San Francisco Bay Area newspapers that depicted a policeman uh, in Australia wearing the latest in riot suit gear. And it looked like an executioner's costume. It had a square top uh, and uh, and it was amazing. And it, Right down to the the uh, the boots and the pants tucked into the boots. It was a really it was a carbon copy of the sketch of the Zodiac's outfit that he wore. And uh, so I don't think he was trying to look like an executioner. I think he was mimicking the the police. And and at, at that time, you know, the the people that were protesting the government and so forth in Vietnam, like you mentioned, 
and they would have these these gatherings and they would march and so forth and there was a great deal of police brutality back then uh, I, I would recommend watching on YouTube and just looking at it's like night and day how the police behaved back then versus today I mean, they could get away with a lot more and you'd see all of a sudden these protests just being broken up for apparently no reason by police just using batons and tear gas and really beating people who were just simply holding a picket sign and it seems to me that Zodiac was actually kind of ironically uh, dressed up to commit murder while looking like one of these riot police. It was, I think it was more irony that he was going for rather than trying to look like an executioner. And then the were other, these murders the other... uh, opportunistic or were they planned out? Uh, I mean, did he have these, these, these people in his sights and they were uh, from, you know, the, the, the time he was going to kill them, um, was it planned out or, or was it just opportunistic uh, killings? Two of the attacks at least appeared to be planned. Uh, the attack where he dressed up in the, in the costume, he did have pre-cut clothesline that he used to, to uh, tie the victims. Um, and so there are little bits and pieces like that. Also, he, uh, he used a knife in that attack, and he wrapped cotton around the handle of the knife, which is premeditation. Uh, it's also guaranteed that he would have gotten you know, convicted of first-degree murder because he was, um, by putting the cotton around the handle of the knife, you know, he, he was planning on stabbing people that day. It was premeditated. And it's also kind of troubling that a surviving victim noticed that he had the cotton around the handle of the knife. And it kind of shows that he probably had some experience using knives on at least animals. Because who would think, you know, I mean, I'd never used a knife in that way. And it wouldn't have occurred to me to put, you know, cotton around the handle so that if you start sweating, you know, your hand won't slip and you won't cut yourself. But uh, he knew to do that. So either he had used that knife in that way uh, before on people or on animals, or I don't know how he would have just guessed that. Right. And, and and with the murders as well, were they savage or, or you know, was it a, a savage murder or were, were these murders, um, uh, you know, very precise in, in, you know, I mean, was there a crazy blood scene there or, you know, was this guy, this guy knew what he was doing or what? No, he wasn't sadistic. He did just enough to kill the victims. There was no mutilation. There was no torture. Uh, the knife, of course, you could say, well, that's a horrible way to kill someone. Well, sure, it's going to be, it, yeah, it is. But it was a daytime attack in a, a populated area. So the theory is that he only used the knife because uh, he didn't want to attract attention by using a gun. But none of his crime scenes had any sexual molestation or any robbery. None of them had torture. None of them had uh, really overkill. He did just enough to kill the victims, and he didn't try to prolong it. And that's another reason that you know it's it's thought that he wasn't, typical serial killer that, that was really out to, to uh, hurt people or whatever. He was he was just simply following along with, the at the time, uh, the, the counterculture newspapers that were supporting these types of, uh, they, they would call them acts of harassment against the establishment. Uh, any act of harassment was, was called for, whether you're trying to blow up a plane or set fire to a bank or kill someone in the suburbs. Uh, and it was all thought to be part of bringing the Vietnam War home, all these atrocities, all these bombings, all these arsons and young people killing just like over in Vietnam. Uh, middle America could no longer ignore it until they would have to, they would finally realize that it's a horrible scene, whether it's in America or in Vietnam, and then finally changes would be made. And so uh, the fact that he was out there not really torturing people or anything, it was just kind of a means to an end. He was killing people because, uh, in a way, because he had to. So he's just doing it as quickly as possible not prolonging it, not molesting or terrorizing the victims like you would expect other serial killers to do and, and have done. 
he didn't do anything like that. He was very, um, he was pretty much the opposite. And and if he was a typical serial killer and it was all, and that's all he was to it, I don't think I ever would have been interested in that. What about survivors? Uh, you know, there I, I, there were survivors, correct? And and what what uh, have you spoken with any of the uh, survivors? Yes, I've been in touch with. Uh, let's see, there are two, and I've been touch uh, been in touch with both of them, and uh, and one is doing extremely well as a retired attorney. Uh, the other, pretty much the exact opposite. So it had it had different effects on them. You know, one was able to to put it behind them and excel in life, and the other one could never get over it. And uh, but yeah, I've, I've really had never had a problem in how long has it been? Almost 20 years of research, I've, or more than 20 years. I've never had a problem uh, whenever I've contacted a law enforcement agency or surviving victim or family members of the deceased victims. I've always been um, a good relationship. I've never really had anybody that that was against what I was doing or was offended by it. And that's been a big help because I'm really, it's been 15, 20 years and it's been a remarkable amount of material that I've been able to acquire and put online for everyone to read. And um, and I couldn't have done it without, you know, without the help of other people. But I can't, I still, sometimes I look back and I can't, I can't figure out how I was able to get my way into the, you know, the evidence room, you know, for example, at San Francisco police department, you know, and they're letting me in and they're, they're, in some cases they were violating their own policy by, by bringing me in and letting me have access to these materials and photograph them. In some cases I was given originals, um, and I, I don't remember how I how I did it. I wish I could because I'd like to do it again. Well, I did see on the the uh, documentary was that's like from 15 years ago, right? Documentary. Yeah, it was a long time ago. That, that mm-hmm. you, that yeah, you had a witness that stood you up. And at the time, oh, it was yeah. like that was really, really was annoying and and unusual because you, as you you were stating in the. Uh, the documentary that most of the time when you, you had a lot of luck with, with contacting people and people sharing stuff with you. So, I mean, yeah, I can remember, I can probably count on one hand the number of times where, where I got stood up or where, where something didn't pan out. I had a really lucky streak. uh, And I want (laughs) to keep it. I want to, I want to start that streak over again. I've been wrapped up in, in some other things the last six months and I haven't been able to focus on the case like I used to, but, I'm looking to turn that around this fall and get back into it, and I hope my lucky streak uh, continues. But you know, it's interesting uh, that I, I'm also interested in um, in the Bigfoot phenomenon. Not not all cryptozoology, but f- mostly on the Bigfoot phenomenon. And those two, the, the Zodiac case and and Bigfoot, are almost identical in every way, for, and, and including the the, uh, the the types of people who are interested in the types of research that are done. I mean, you have people that I was on Facebook a few months ago, and there are people that are taking the Patterson-Gimlin footage, you know, 10th generation copies, and they're looking at it on their computer, and they're changing the resolution, and they're doing all these things to the footage, and they're finding what they think is blood and what they think are bones. And and they really think that they're doing something rational and significant. And this, people do the same thing with the Zodiac case. They take the letters, the Zodiac letters, the letters he wrote, and they 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 change the resolution and they turn them upside down and they change the monitor and look at it from different angles and they find faces in the in the letter in the in the what they think they're looking at the paper. They don't realize that it's being pixelated and so forth. 
and they really think that they've solved the case. One person sent me what he said was Homer Simpson's face in a Zodiac letter from 45 years ago. Wow. He saw he found Homer Simpson, and they and they don't stop and think. Well, wait a minute. There was no such thing as Homer Simpson in 1969, and that's the same type well, of of, uh, of of zaniness that you can find online with with people diving into this Bigfoot stuff. It's not Bigfoot that's crazy. It's just some of the people that are researching it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, what? So, what was the premise? Is Homer Simpson was the Zodiac killer? Oh boy, you know, you know, I uh, I usually don't respond to emails like that. Sometimes oh, okay. I'll ask them what they have in their. Sometimes I'll respond and just ask them what they have in their medicine cabinet and why aren't they taking it? You know, things like that. <laughs> who, who knows the men? Who knows the mentality? I mean, it doesn't take a genius to know that when you have a digital image, or you have any type of image on the internet, okay, it's, you're not dealing with an original, and when you start changing the properties, then, right. then the results you get aren't going aren't to be. They're not going to be reality, but that—that's the. Some people don't um, think the way I do. Well, that's true. You t- it's just like people. I mean, you take people take pictures of of forest, and then they they circle shapes in it that look like Bigfoot, and, and that yeah, the red circle that presented right, and that presented as evidence, and you know. Oh, I have. It, it I have the same. I have the same thing. I get red, someone will get, um, they'll download one of the crime scene photos I put on the internet or some, and they'll circle something in the background with a red circle, and then just to make sure that I don't miss it, then they they have the white arrow that points to it. And it's supposed to be the, you know, the missing piece of the Zodiac mystery. So I get it. It's strange that when I take a break from the Zodiac stuff, I, and then I go online and I get the I get the red arrows or the red circles and the white arrows with Zodiac, and then when I'm done with that, I go online and I see it on the big button. And then when I go to sleep, I see red circles and white arrows. <laughs> well, Tom, it doesn't matter you, the subject. One, <laughs> what, hmm. you, you at one time thought that um, you're, you had a suspect that you were leaning towards, and that was Arthur Allen, which he was, he was uh, commonly thought to be, you know, well, a, a lot of people thought he was, was likely to have been the Zodiac killer. And uh, you, wh- who is... Do you still think that that that's who the Zodiac killer was? Have does evidence has there? I mean, that's been 15 years ago. Have you seen evidence that that leads you to believe that it was somebody else? Where are you at with that now? Well, Arthur Lee Allen was. It, a lot of people have seen that Zodiac movie from 2007 with Robert Danny Jr. and uh, Mark Ruffalo and Jake Gyllenhaal. And in the movie. Uh, the suspect uh, in real life named Arthur Lee Allen. He was played by John Carroll Lynch, which I think was the best part of that movie. Um, the Jake Gyllenhaal character was um, based on a real-life author who used to be a cartoonist at the San Francisco Chronicle where Zodiac wrote his letters. And I became really close with the real-life cartoonist and got a lot of my information at the very beginning from him. It turned out to be 90% incorrect. And most of it was about Arthur Lee Allen. So I started off with uh, all sorts of false information about Alan and a lot of my a lot of my uh, research was um, uncovering a lot of what was thought to be true about Alan turning out it was it was BS so um, so no I in fact I uh, was uh, I helped get enough news media attention um, about the Zodiac case and about Arthur Lee Allen as a suspect so in 2002 ABC uh, network financed the uh, DNA testing and so forth. Um, they had a show called Primetime Thursday, 
and uh, and they were able to use DNA testing and and so forth to really uh, rule out Alan as a suspect. So I don't think he was the Zodiac. Um, I do think I know who the Zodiac was, and I think it's the guy who died in 2004 who was a counterculture revolutionary type in San Francisco. And I'm just in the process now of trying to either prove he was guilty or rule him out like a uh, with Arthur Lee Allen, but it's kind of slow going because uh, he was a pretty prominent figure in San Francisco and, and also a very weird guy, and a lot of people he was associated with during that time used aliases and uh, are just uh, really unstable characters. So it's a, it's a really hard trail to follow. What are your thoughts on on Earl Van Best and some of his, his, his uh, claims? Well, Gary Stewart is an author who wrote a book recently that apparently is a New York Times bestseller that uh, fingers uh, his a stepfather as being the Zodiac Killer. It's a common theme nowadays is, you know, my stepfather was a Zodiac. It's happened in the last 10 years. I, at least six or seven different people have come forward claiming that their stepfather was a Zodiac. Uh, you can almost set your watch by it. And it's almost as, you know, it's just like in Bigfoot when every year when it's like ratings sweeps, that someone will come forward and claim they were the guy in the suit at Bluff Creek. And it's happened so often that uh, apparently it still gets ratings because TV news is still playing that card whenever they need to get a boost in, in ratings for ad revenue. But, you know, it's the same with, with Zodiac. Uh, every once in a while it's a slow news day and some new person is introduced as claiming their stepfather was Zodiac. And most recently it was Gary Stewart wrote the book um, and he, his stepfather was named Earl Van Best Jr. And once that book came out, it was it was a surprise to me. I didn't even know that the book was going to be published, and it was a big secret by the publisher, I think Harper Collins. And um, within a week, all of the claims that were in the book had been debunked thoroughly at, at uh, ZodiacDoor.com. The main claim was that uh, that uh, some kind of forensic handwriting expert had matched the suspect's handwriting to the Zodiac's handwriting. And what was funny about that is that it turned out that the handwriting from this, the so-called hand, handwriting from the suspect was actually handwriting from the reverend that mailed, that married the suspect and his wife. It wasn't actually the suspect's handwriting. So apparently that document expert thinks that the reverend was the Zodiac and the reverend was like 90 years old in 1969. So it's good for a laugh. I do not think that... Uh, Pearl Van Dust Jr. was a Zodiac, and I would advise people to save their money. Although it is interesting when you go in a bookstore and you see a hardback book about the Zodiac case, you know, in 2015, there's still being books written about it. It's unfortunate that usually the books are written about really bad suspects that can easily be debunked, and Carper Collins wouldn't have needed to spend any money on this book and promoting this book. If they would have done some simple research, they would have found out that the claims were bunk to begin with, but I think that they didn't want to know that. They wanted to, they thought maybe they could just pull the wool over people's eyes. And in fact, there's, I believe, um, CBS is making a movie about this book. Uh, I didn't even know CBS still made movies, but there's going to be a Zodiac <laughs> movie apparently on TV pretty soon. Hmm. It's going to be like one, it's going to be like one of those lifetime original movies, you know, where it's, it's, it's marketed towards uh 50 year old housewives. And I'm, I'm already, <laughs> I'm already um, I'm already dreading the email I'm going to get from these women that are telling me to take my site down because the case has already been solved. <laughs> right. 
Well, there's been so many there's been so many claims. I, I, I've heard some ridiculous stuff, and one I just I, I wasn't aware of. Somebody mentioned in chat that Ted Kaczynski uh, was uh, a possible uh, person on the list, and then there was an investigator with the subject of the Zodiac killer that was on the suspect's list. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on just those two, if you're aware of them? I'm sure you are. Oh, sure. Ted Kaczynski was, a, was you know, a, a natural. Once once he was caught as the Unabomber, which was after the Zodiac case had gone cold, uh, once Ted Kaczynski was, was named as the Unabomber, it became kind of an obvious, uh, he became an obvious candidate to potentially be the Zodiac because he was, he was uh, in the same area around the same time, and his handwriting was similar, and his and uh, capable of killing people, and so forth. Uh, the Zodiac wasn't known to actually commit bombings, but he did send bomb diagrams to the police, so he did have some rudimentary knowledge of, of bombings. So it, it became it was just a it was Kaczynski became an instant Zodiac suspect, but he was ruled out by both the San Francisco Police Department and the FBI using uh, various methods, and of course. Uh, uh, Kaczynski's DNA is in the National Data Bank uh, because he's incarcerated as a felon, and, uh, and Zodiac's partial DNA profile apparently has been compared to what they can compare of Kaczynski, and there's been no match. So I don't think Kaczynski was was a Zodiac. There are some much more interesting suspects than Kaczynski, though. I don't list them on my website because they're rubbish, but people like Clint Eastwood, okay, we're talking major celebrities, Clint Eastwood, uh, Peter O'Toole, they've been... Zodiac suspects somewhere on the internet. Somebody has started a blog or a YouTube channel because they think Clint Eastwood or Peter O'Toole was a Zodiac. Uh, let's see who else. L. Ron Hubbard, the Scientology guy. Hunter S. Thompson. He was an author or something, right? Um, yeah. Vic Tabak. Vic Tabak, he was the he played the crabby uh, cook from that TV show Alice back in the 70s. He was a hot Zodiac suspect Mel. for a while. Not, yeah, yeah, Mel. Mel. The Mel and Mel's diner. He was, no, no, I don't. I don't believe any of these people were the Zodiac, but these are uh, these are some of the theories that have uh, turned up on the Internet, which is the only place that they would belong. And and I've been contacted by people who are absolutely positive that whether Clint Eastwood or L. Ron Hubbard or Mel from Alice was definitely the Zodiac, and they have all sorts of stuff for me to read to prove that they're right, and I usually just delete it. No, actually, I don't. I, what I do is I save the first email because they always send, you know, more than one. I save the first one. I have a folder that I save all that dumb stuff in, and uh, and then I delete all the rest. So well, I think you look Tom. like D.B. Cooper. Oh, no, yeah. no, I don't. D.B. Cooper's and I mentioned Clint Eastwood. I don't think, I want to reiterate, I do not think Clint Eastwood was the Zodiac, but I do think he was D.B. Cooper. Okay. <laughs> For real. I did, did all Stephen Cooper actually say, "Go ahead, make my day"? <laughs> You're right. Like they Cooper won't release said. that. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> and 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 Clint, um, now he's probably to be honest, Clint's probably not guilty of any major felonies. But Vic Tabak, I've been suspected of. You know, he's a sketchy guy. Let's face it. <laughs> he was really. He was always in a bad mood. If you watch Alice, Mel was always in a bad mood, and he seemed to really hate women. I know. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tom. So, with with uh, with with the the symbol that the Zodiac killer used, uh, can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, that that to me is pretty significant. Uh, and I'm, I, you know, he used this like a uh, cross sort of crosshairs symbol. You mind talking about that a little bit? 
Correct. Well, first of all, he did give himself his own nickname. And whenever it seems like half the time when there's a new Zodiac story on um, uh, Google News or something, I keep track of all these Zodiac references. And at least half the time, for some reason, the reporter will claim that, that the Zodiac was given his nickname by the news media. But no, he named himself the Zodiac. And the symbol you're talking about, the first three Zodiac letters were received simultaneously on um, August, no, July 31st, 1969. And he hadn't given himself a nickname at that point, so uh, what he did was, was sign the letters with the cross-circle symbol. And the idea at the time, it was speculated that the cross-circle symbol represented a rifle sight because he had, in those letters, he had referred to, you know, shooting more people and, and so forth. So it, it was thought that it was a rifle sight. However, during that period of time, in, in 1969, uh, there was a, a watch company that still, still exists called Zodiac. And their little symbol on their watches was a cross-circle symbol. And, in fact, I own one. And uh, they advertised. They were a European company, but they advertised in not only Playboy magazine in 1969, but also in uh, both major San Francisco newspapers. So I I don't – the theories are endless, really, about what that symbol meant. But uh, I think a good good, – probably – I mean, I don't know why he'd want to – name himself after a watch, but <laughs> that would be, it's, what, what's a famous watch these days? Um, what's a, remember yeah, watch yeah, yeah. Rolex, Rolex. You imagine a serial killer, the Rolex killer, you know, it, it's, that's, yeah. that's what it would be. Timex. But let's, Timex had to do with, Timex killer. Yeah, let's had to do with time, you know, I mean, you think of a watch, you're telling the time, you know, I don't know. <laughs> It's, a, I, it's, it's so strange, but, but that would explain his name and his symbol. Again, it would be yeah, it would be like <laughs> today somebody calling themselves the Timex killer. They're just stupid, right. you know. Hey, yeah, that's, but yeah. you know, back then in the late sixties, astrology was really was really popular as well. So uh, who knows what he was trying to accomplish? I mean, you you know, at some level, he was uh, he did have a he seemed to be a really intelligent guy based on the content of his letters. But he still was killing people, so he had to have some you know, really bizarre element to his personality. Uh, I mean, I I sort of sound like I'm justifying it by saying, oh, he's just a domestic terrorist, as if that excuses everything. I don't really mean it that way. He definitely had a side to his personality that let him do these crazy things. But but what the what the what the um, counterculture newspapers and back then there were so many of them. Back then there was no internet. So remember, imagine all the websites that you can look at today. Well, there was a newspaper for each topic. There was no website. There were newspapers. Newsstands were huge. There were newspapers of every subject you can think of. And the counterculture newspapers were extremely popular, especially with people under 30. And what they would preach is that uh, it is that so we're in a war, and we're in a war with our own country, and when you're in a war, uh, innocent people have to die on both sides. So it was kind of the same thing that the military preaches, except it was to civilians. And it was... And it was essentially to justify, hey, go go commit these acts against people in your own country and in the, in the suburbs, because it's the only way we're going to end the atrocities overseas and so forth. And it's not just the Vietnam War; it was also inequality and racism and all these other hot button issues at the time. And the young people were just furious about about what was going on with their own country, and and so they kind of had this, you know, kill the pig was the was the phrase, kill the pig. And the pig represented not just police, but anybody that was against the counterculture, against the revolution, and so forth. So, but I'll never forget reading it for the first time about uh, 
in a we're in a war with our own country essentially and in war innocent people have to die on the, on both sides innocent people die on both sides and if you think about that quote you know it just it essentially justifies anything you choose to want to do in the name of of you know the revolution you could go blow up a busload of nuns and uh and you're justified because hey it's a it's a war yeah and you mentioned i mean you mentioned you know you keep mentioning domestic terrorists and i know you kind of touched upon that but what kind of separates you know say this this if that's what the zodiac killer was specifically a domestic terrorist what separates a domestic terrorist from your average serial killer i mean do you think uh the zodiac killer uh was a uh serial killer or you you or, or a bit of both a domestic terrorist slash serial killer or just one I think he was playing the role of a, of a domestic terrorist. I think he was, at heart, uh, capable of all sorts of nefarious deeds. But I think that during this part of his life, he was uh, kind of uh, playing the role of a domestic terrorist. I think, uh, and and the suspect that I think was the Zodiac was the guy who used to reinvent himself every two years. And the Zodiac was only the Zodiac from uh, August 1969 until March 1971. I mean, there were some letters written before and after that time period, but he was only the Zodiac for about 20 months, and then he just moved on. I mean, and so people are still talking about him like like he's still the Zodiac, but it was only it was only a 20 month time period. So uh, for some reason, um, he could control it, and 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 the suspect Richard Gajkowski is, is the person's name who died in 2004, who I think was most likely the Zodiac. He was a guy that kept reinventing himself every two years or so, so he really fits in. But if you're going to go out and kill people like the Zodiac did, you, you have to have there's something more going on than just being some type of a counterculture revolutionary. He was obviously somebody who was screwed up, and at least for a period of, of time, and it could have been, you know, I do know at the time that the Zodiac crimes were going on, Gajkowski was an undiagnosed schizophrenic who was uh, involved with heavy drugs, including uh acid and, and all sorts of stuff that people were taking back then. He was also um, had some sexual identity issues because he was 33 years old in 1969, but he didn't uh, he didn't realize that he was a homosexual until the end of 1969 when he was going on 34 years old, which is pretty unusual. So he had, so, he had a lot of complex um, elements to his personality and things that were going on. And I think when you put somebody like that in the Bay Area during that time period when there's so much divisiveness and violence and uh it's a pretty lethal cocktail especially with the the uh, schizophrenia that was undiagnosed and the drugs uh that he was taking so i, I think maybe the timing while well, the timing is interesting with gajkowski because the last zodiac letter was march of 71 and that's also the month that he got committed to napa state hospital and got diagnosed as a schizophrenic so i think perhaps if gajkowski is in zodiac the reason why it all stopped is because he got some help well, yeah. Well, that's fascinating. But I mean, you've looked at this guy obviously and and researched him. So, what was his childhood like? I mean, what got him to from point A to point B? If 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 per se this was the the Zodiac killer, what what uh, brought him to where he you know possibly you know what what led him there? Well, what he told his best friend uh, in March of '71 when he was committed to the Napa State Hospital, his friend, uh, his best friend was a mainstream journalist and, and hadn't seen him for a few years. And, visited him in the state hospital, and Gajkowski blamed his friend. He said, this is all your fault, and was very vague about what he was blaming, blaming him for. But the friend got Richard uh, 
involved in drugs five years earlier, so six years earlier. And Richard took those drugs. In fact, I have pictures of, of Gajkowski with Dr. Timothy Leary, who is uh, an LSD advocate. I have pictures of them together having breakfast and so forth. I think I think once Gajkowski started with the drugs that, that his best friend got him involved with, I think that's what took him down the wrong path. He ended up dropping out uh, in 1968, quit his, mainstream, quit his mainstream job, started living in different communes around the country, and he eventually became... Uh, you know, just the exact opposite of what he had been a few years earlier. And it was heavy drug use, and it was the type of drugs he was taking. It wasn't just using recreational drugs. It was, you know, all those mind-enhancing drugs. And I think when you combine that with undiagnosed schizophrenia or any mental illness, uh, then you're asking for some, you know, dangerous results, and I think that's what happened. And I think that's why that, you know, that's why that everything ended in March 71, because he got, he got um, diagnosed and he got on medication. But how does that explain, say, you know, the use of the cotton on the knives, some of that knowledge and whatnot? I mean, it seems like this, this Zodiac killer had a knowledge, of, you know, about sweat and, and the use of knives and stuff. Did, did you know, how does that work into play with this particular person? Gajkowski was from South Dakota and uh, was uh, born and raised on a homestead. And they used to, you know, slaughter, hunt and slaughter their own animals and so forth. So he would have uh-huh. probably been a person who would have <laughs> known had a had a handle on knife and had a, and how not to hurt himself. And also, uh, there's an interesting uh, one of Zodiac's last known murder was in San Francisco, the killing of a cab driver. And after killing the cab driver, Zodiac pulled out the cab driver's shirt tail and tore, not ripped or cut, but tore a, a neat square of fabric from the shirt tail. And uh, that's something that medics are trained to do in the field. If you watch those old World War II movies, you know, and the medic doesn't have any more bandages. Or, then they get to their, their their wounded soldier and they and they use the the soldier's own shirt, preferably the under shirt, because it's cleanest. And they're able to tear these neat squares and use them as bandages. And Gajkowski was an army medic uh, after college, and and there are all sorts of these little little elements of the case that facts that you know about Zodiac that based on the evidence and and that can match up perfectly with Gajkowski. It's really pretty spooky. Wow, <laughs> fascinating! Absolutely fascinating. Uh, you obviously done your homework. <laughs> well, in addition, I'll tell you, I mentioned uh, that Zodiac made a few phone calls. Uh, probably his most famous phone call, and it was depicted in uh, David Fincher's Zodiac movie with Robert Danny Jr. After Zodiac's second attack, uh, he called the police and, and reported the attack and told the police where the victims could be found. And the woman he spoke to, it was... Um, Early in the morning, July 5th, 1969, he spoke to a dis- police dispatcher named Nancy Slover, and they spoke for 30 seconds or so. And, and I ended up tracking her down about seven years or, or so ago. And because she was able to talk to the Zodiac from within a police station, she wasn't in danger. Um, and she didn't feel threatened. She was able to really concentrate and hear his voice over the phone. I used to send her audio files of different suspects and play them for her over the phone. And I did that probably, no, probably 10 times, all the prominent suspects I played for her over the phone, and she never had any reaction whatsoever. And when I played her Gajkowski's voice over the phone, uh, she became ill um, and had to go uh, into uh, therapy. She had an instant physical reaction on the phone to the point where her friend that was with her uh, thought that she was having a stroke or some kind of a, you know, potential life-ending event, and uh, called me back about a half an hour later and 
and told me that she was in the hospital. She ended up having to go into uh, therapy all because of that voice that she heard. And her therapist told her that that uh, that yes, she would be perfectly capable of remembering, of remembering that voice if she heard it again under the right circumstances. Has this been shared with authorities? I mean, this is yes, very. Yeah, it was actually. It was uh, it was shared. Um, I play. Uh, it's it's documented at zodiackiller.com. There's a there's a uh, on the main page. There's a link you can click on from the various suspects. And then if you click on Gajkowski's page, uh, it's all detailed there. And in fact, um, the uh, History Channel did a hour long show about Gajkowski as potentially being the Zodiac. Uh, they did that show. It's called Mystery Quest, and that show was filmed about six or seven years ago. And I think you can still find it on YouTube. And Nancy appeared in that show, and, and it, in fact, there are some scenes where we're going over the the audio, and uh, and she's talking about her reaction to it. You know, the problem is that um, despite her being a very credible person, in fact, she was a police dispatcher, uh, trying to get law enforcement involved at this point is really difficult. They don't have a lot of resources uh, in California, especially San Francisco, to devote cold cases, and what and it's frustrating, but the truth is that if Zodiac was still alive and he called the San Francisco police to confess, they would put him on hold for so long that he would die of old age. Or he'd be transferred 5,000 times and finally give up and start killing again. Wow. Well, <clears throat> there's not been any any recent uh, uh, murders or anything of that nature to you, that, you're, that you have knowledge of that resemble... Uh, Zodiac murders. I mean, uh, I'm not seeing anything out there personally. Uh, there's nothing out there. I mean, I'm sure you get links from people from time to time and say, "Oh, he's back," or this or that. You've not seen anything that's come out recently or in the last, say, 15 years that uh, resembles Zodiac. The closest would be um, a double homicide that occurred uh, north of San Francisco in 2004 um, in the town of Jenner, right on the beach. A young couple was. Uh, murdered on the beach at night while they were apparently sleeping and that case is not solved and you know the early newspaper reports brought up the zodiac as as not because there was real evidence indicating he did it but because you know the news media felt like it was a very zodiac like uh, attack and that case um hasn't been solved in 11 years i've been to that crime scene and did some work on it but uh it's a very unusual um double murder but there are a number of uh, and I talked to Gunner about this Thursday. Uh, you remember Gunner? There's those those campsite murders, people in right. beaches or in national parks, um, from Vancouver Island all the way down to Arizona. Over the last 35 years, there are all these murders uh, that it was thought might be the work of the same individual of, of young people or, or couples that are camping or on the beach, and it's it's pretty spooky. And um, it's not the missing. 411 stuff in right. the national parks. It's an entirely different series of murders uh, that I don't think Zodiac could I mean, he would be probably, what, 75 or 80, I think. Yeah. yeah. Up there in I, age. I, I think they're, yeah, that he's using a walker now. That would be kind of a dead giveaway. It would be. I. It's kind of scary now that we're talking about all this, you know. Uh, I try not to think about these things when I actually go camping, but... Uh, that missing 411 stuff, uh, yeah, that's pretty spooky. But, uh, and and there are some um, some other cases that, uh, I think Shane, you asked me about this, uh, pre-2004 that were right. potentially thought to be uh, Zodiac murders throughout California. But the fact is that now 
whenever anybody dies ever anywhere in the world, no matter how they died, someone will email me and say they think it's a Zodiac. It could be somebody get hit by a car or fall down the stairs. And, uh, you know, Zodiac, what he's, in one of his letters, he said that from now on, I'm not going to tell you when I kill people. I'm not going to announce it. I'm not going to tell you anything. I'm just going to make all these murders look like fake accidents. I'm going to make them look like domestic disputes. Uh, I'm going to make them look like robberies gone bad. That's what he wrote yeah. one of his letters, and it really mind-effed a lot of people because from that point on to this day, whenever anybody dies, it was the Zodiac, even if it's natural causes. Right. Well, that, that, yeah. that's freaky. That, yeah, that kind of gives people a pass to – one of those couples that you were talking about, like in the National Park deal, um, was here in Oregon. There was a couple – Yes. Like, and, like, and it's been – because we were talking about it, and it was like – 10 years, I think we just had the 10-year anniversary, that murder, and and uh, they were, I think, in the Willamette. I remember looking, it was the Willamette uh, National Forest, and, uh, yeah, no, they never found anybody, you know, um, them and this couple, and uh, he was like a teacher, and she was a, I think they were both teachers, if I remember right, and, and uh, they had their dog with them and, and never found any, you know, Never. It was another one of those unsolved cases. But, yeah, pretty weird is that uh, um, there's a number of those kinds of cases that have a very similar similar uh, pattern. Um, and it does make it a little, like, uh, freaky to go out and, and go out in the woods because that's, you know. The West Coast has always had a distance. Go ahead. What sort of has a history of a disappoint? Disapp- um, what's the word? The West Coast has always had a higher than normal or you know disappropriate, I guess, uh, number of uh, bizarre behavior, murders, whatever. I mean, going all the way back to, the, I mean, there's so many examples: the Mansons, the Mansons through Ted Bundy and the Green River Killer and the pig farmer up in Vancouver, BC, and and the Zodiac and Kaczynski, and I mean, it's all on the West Coast. And my theory is that North America is tilted to the left and that all the nuts roll to the, you know, towards our side <laughs> of, the, of the coast. And it seems to be that seems to be backed by solid evidence. We also have a lot of, uh, uh, I mean, it's getting stranger. I mean, Portland's getting weirder with all the Californians moving up here because of all the drought. Uh, we're going to have a really just. It's just going to be organs that's going to be filled with nothing but lunatics. Well, you know, it's fascinating to me because, you know, getting on the subject of, of uh, you know, you know, you mentioned the 411 books by David Polites and these missing people in national forests and, and not just national forests, but, you know, parks and whatnot. Um, and, uh, da- I mean, da- to David's credit, he doesn't necessarily come out and say, oh, Bigfoot's associated with all these people disappearing, but there's something going on here. Some of them are rather strange, but some of them are not so strange. They're just missing, or they're discovered in weird places, or some of them are, some of these people are, are murdered and whatnot. But, uh, you know, when I look at your work with the Zodiac Killer, I have to wonder, you know, uh, you know with, with books like the, you know, uh, Missing 411, um, Though a lot of the murders and and people disappearing and people showing up are under weird, uh, weird uh, you know, uh, circumstances. Circumstances, yeah. I mean, uh, 
could we be dealing with other serial killers uh, in in some of these areas that are just under the radar that don't really have necessarily a motive or anybody to reach out to to say, hey, I'm killing people, but they're doing it. Uh, it it's just, I mean, what are your thoughts, Tom? I mean, uh, do could we possibly, especially on the West Coast here, as, as to where I live, could there be other serial killers out there or, or domestic terrorists or what not just taking you know advantage of these these uh, remote areas uh and the amount of people that go to these areas to do what they do oh definitely the in fact there's already a a few documented cases in uh well as far back as i think the 1940s in the los angeles national forest uh there were a series of boy scouts that were disappearing and, and murdered don't think that ever got solved uh and in the uh, 1970s uh david carpenter uh, was convicted of being the trailside killer uh, in uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area. He was uh, around uh, a mountainous area, popular with hikers, and he was attacking and killing couples and so forth. He was convicted, and that was his favorite territory, you know, the, where people would be hiking and camping and so forth. And I'm sure that, uh, that there's a lot more of that going on in, in other areas. It just takes somebody who's who who's capable of such a thing and and actually has some knowledge of um you know of the forest and and different trails and if I, I would be shocked if a lot of these cases that that are involved with missing pole and one if they if they weren't the work of one or more serial killers I'd be shocked because you have truckers that are picking up people and then disposing of them two states over and virtually every walk of life there's going to be a, a eventually a serial killer. It doesn't happen like every week like a criminal mind, but eventually uh, every walk of life is going to have produced a serial killer, and that includes the Bigfoot community. I hate to say it, but eventually we're going to read about one of our own uh, as having done some of these things, and it's every walk of life. There'll be a, there'll be a chef that's a serial killer. There'll be a, you know, every walk of life is eventually going to produce one, and that includes someone who's an outdoor enthusiast and has some bunker up uh, in the wilderness and on the west side of Mount Adams and stores a bunch of bodies in there. It'll happen. I hate to say it, but it's true. Yeah. What is, no, it's, what it's is unfortunate. It you, what is it that you do, Shane? I just wanted to see if that category was covered already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do not kill anybody, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Oh wait a minute! I, uh, crazy people know they're crazy. That's part of this is true. <laughs> <laughs> serial killers know, uh, but it is. It's, unfortunately, it's always weird to me. It's like I've I've had it. You know, I've read I read a book about uh, uh, what was the guy's name? Uh, you know, Berkowitz. Uh, you know, and it's it's always weird to me because what circumstances take somebody from being you know a child that is innocent up to to have the uh, ability, the you know, to to kill people, or 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 develops that kind of compulsion to, because a lot of the serial killers, as you were talking about, they there's a sexual element to to the, their disease. Because basically, it, that's when you get somebody who's who has that compulsion, there's something wrong with them. I mean, it's not a normal human behavior. So what you know, what circumstances you know, them from point A to point B. And it's weird. I mean, well, there's, there's, and how often does it happen? It's uh, it's in, in their brain, they're missing a wire. Ted Bundy right. had a 
awesome upbringing, um, and uh, he even said that you know he had he had great parents and was not abused, nothing like that. The same with uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, he didn't have any type of a, a history of any type of uh, abuse or anything in his past, he, but he was a lunatic. And some and of he, them they and would that, work with. And early on, yeah, he had some behaviors early on that people that he liked to torture animals when he was a kid. Yes, yeah, so even Ted Bundy kid. when uh, Ted Bundy when he was probably four or five years old uh, snuck into his, I believe his mother's room and, and began placing knives around her when she was asleep and he was only four or five years old. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, you can't blame rock music on that. No, or video uh, games. Yeah. yeah, no, you can't blame video games on that one. But son of Sam David Berkowitz, was a, he was a broken person mentally. You know, he was a, an arsonist. He was responsible by his own estimation for thousands of fires around New York before he started killing people and he was a social outcast and he had all sorts of problems, uh, you know. It's but it's it's amazing with the population that we have in this country that there aren't more because I, I, it seems like every day I run into somebody who I think is probably nuts, but nobody got killed that day. <laughs> so it doesn't right. happen as often as you know. It doesn't happen as often as, as if you watch TV like Criminal Minds. I mean, there's like every day there's a new serial killer popping up if you watch that show, and it's not that bad yet in real life. Well, that's, well, Tom, uh, are you uh, are you familiar with uh, Carrie Stainer uh, with the Yosemite uh, murders? Yeah, Carrie Stainer was a interesting, uh, mainly because uh, he had uh, Carrie Stainer was uh, someone who who apparently was, uh, you know, I don't know if he ever actually posted in Bigfoot um, forums on the internet, but he was right. not just a serial killer, but he was a, a Bigfoot. Uh, uh, he well, he was interested enough in Bigfoot. He apparently saw one and right. was sketching pic- pictures of. He would in, in, during his trial for serial murder, he was sitting there sketching pictures of the Bigfoot that he saw in uh, yeah. California. So the exactly. Bigfoot is yeah. already covered, basically. Yeah, We're, we should be good for a while. Yeah. Well, my connection, my, and it's not really a connection, but I had a, a girlfriend uh, that worked up in Yosemite during these murders uh, in the late nineties. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I didn't learn about the Bigfoot fascination or, uh, you know, Carrie actually seen a Bigfoot or whatever he claims to way later. Uh, I was more worried about, you know, uh, the girlfriend being there and whatnot. But, you know, the girlfriend I had at the time, you know, she, you know, this guy uh, was, you know, he knew the area and everything else and, and could go undetected quite easily. Uh, it just it was fascinating to me that there was a Bigfoot connection there. Um, but uh, Kerry Stainer, I mean, wow, I, the guy went around and did a lot of things, even, even beheading a woman, apparently, yeah. at one point. Well, his you know, career really was, pretty, the... was pretty short-lived, wasn't it? I mean, he got caught. Yeah, he got caught. He, he, killed, he got caught pretty fast. He killed, yeah, he killed three women, and then um, how many women did he kill altogether? I know he killed the three gals that that were at the park, and then oh, another gal. There was four all together. I could be wrong. Yeah. Is there, no, I think what's that's interesting right. about Stainer, to me, yeah. the most interesting part is that there's the Bigfoot angle, which is which is interesting, right? Because you just, I mean, I just remember seeing pictures of him, uh, you know, these sketches, these court sketches of Kerry Stainer sitting there on trial for a serial murder, drawing pictures of Bigfoot. That was just, but he had a younger brother 
who was uh, abducted in the Berkeley area of California a long, long time ago. And this brother, it was a very famous case. Carrie Stainer's younger brother got abducted before anyone knew who Carrie Stainer was. The younger brother got abducted and was gone for like 15 years. And then the then he's found again. And this was before Carrie Stainer committed the murder and got famous. So it's like you have these two brothers, and one of them got abducted for 15 years. You'd think that's the brother that would end up all screwy, but no, he's fine. It's the one who didn't get abducted for 15 years that was the, that was that went crazy. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, just bizarre. Yeah. But, yeah. but but with Stainer though, I mean with Carrie, uh, I think his childhood upbringing did play a part. It sounds like his dad was a little bit. Uh, uh, harsh on him, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, I've never so far. I haven't seen any, any. Uh, but he got spanking, and he sort of made him a serial killer. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Seen any <laughs> common thread between between? I haven't seen a common thread so far that you know where you have uh, people who do these atrocious things, and they and I haven't been able to find a common thread yet where they all had. Um, a domineering mother, or they all had an absent father, or they all had a, a strict childhood. There doesn't seem to be any common thread because, for every you know million people who had a domineering mother, none of them ever went out and killed anybody. So, uh, so, right. but the you know, but there are serial killers who did have a domineering mother, and so, well, maybe that's why that's why he, he that's why he did those things. But that doesn't excuse. Well, what about all the people who didn't do it? Who had the same grip right, and the same right. type of environment? So I think it's got to be there's got to be a wire missing or something. And uh, Ted right. Bundy wanted uh, when he was uh, when he was on when he was waiting to be executed. Ted Bundy kept trying to get uh, find ways to uh, prolong his life. And one of the ways finally he said, "Well, if you if you stay my execution and, and uh, I'll let you study me and so forth to to figure out why uh, you know why I did these things." But nobody was interested in in studying him. And apparently after if I recall correctly, after he was executed, they examined his brain and everything was just perfectly fine. There were no anomalies. Mm-hmm. Well, no, yeah, but there's, like you said, there's some kind of wire. To, I mean, I had a screwed up childhood in it, and I have, haven't killed anybody that I'm aware of. No, you've yeah. you, you only gone on to do Sasquatch <laughs> coffee, so. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah no, Gunner, you turned out perfectly like. normal. You turned out perfectly <laughs> normal, Gunner. Perfectly, yeah. perfectly normal. I'm fine. Yeah. But no, well, the I mean, whole thing is fascinating. Yeah. And, and uh, you, you know, now, Tom, I want to ask you about the your your interest in Bigfoot. We kind of uh, shared some of the uh, similarities with uh, people online specifically and how they research the subject and how they, they go back, you know, years and years looking at old photos and circle stuff and find stuff that is probably not there. What's your fascination, Tom, with with Bigfoot in general? And uh, have you had any experience with uh, Bigfoot? Uh, you know, you're friends with both uh, Gunner and myself, and you know our fascination with Bigfoot and 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 our research with it. But what what is your fascination and whatnot with the subject of Bigfoot aside from serial killers? Do you think uh, Sasquatch is something out there that's killing people left and right? Abducting them? No, I doubt it. I, I, my my interest stems from the Patterson Gimlin footage. I think I was about probably two or three years old the first time I saw that on TV and was able to sort of comprehend that you know what it was, what I was looking at. Uh, I was born in '67, and the and I was 
used to watching TV shows like Planet of the Apes, and I was used to watching Wild Kingdom, you know, lots of animal shows and lots of hokey science fiction shows with horrible costumes, like Star Trek and uh, Planet of the Apes. And when I first saw the Patterson-Gimlin footage, uh, it just struck me as being a real, the type of real non-human creature that you might see on Marlon Perkins' Wild Kingdom. And it just looked, it was just obvious to me that it was not a person in a suit. I mean, I, I was used to seeing Roddy McDowell in his horrible ape suit, you know, where you would, he would talk and the mouth wouldn't move and so forth. And that's what I was used to. And, of course, Star Trek, you know, the, the famous episode with the Gorn, with that where Captain Kirk beams down to that planet, it looks like a desert, and he's in a fight with that monster, the Gorn. And that was that episode was filmed in 1967, the same year as Patterson-Gimlin. And, and, and that Gorn costume is probably the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. That was the best Hollywood could come up with that, that same year that Patterson and Gimlin filmed Patty. So uh, it's just always been obvious to me that that footage is real. It's not a human creature. It's not a human in a suit. It's a real non-human creature in that in that film. And I've just always felt that way, and I can't really help it. And um, so at least there was one of these things still alive in 1967. I don't think there are as many as you might think by reading all the reports online. I think a lot of people are misidentifying other animals or... Maybe they, I don't know, maybe they're hoaxing or trying to get attention, but my interest stems from that footage. I think it was legitimate, and uh, and so I, I I always spend try to spend as much time as I can in, uh, in the woods anyway, but uh, the idea that there could be something like Patty still around makes it even more fun and interesting. Well, first yeah, of all, I, mean, I, I disagree with you. The Gorn was based on an actual reptilian alien that was prominent at that time and it looks just like it. So, so it's authentic. A, okay. I didn't know it's that. Authentic. That's great to know. <laughs> it actually may have been a Gorn that they got to play the role in the movie or in Star Trek. So. But well, no, that would I mean, have saved it, some yeah, budget. You're right. you know, they wouldn't have had to get a costume that way. They would have saved them That's some money. Right. Good, good thinking. That's right. Yeah. And uh, No, but it's, I mean, that you look at the the, what was available at that time, and that's people forget that when they're looking at it in 2015. That that you know we didn't have CGI then. We didn't you know it it and the best costumes like you talk about were the ones like in Planet of the Apes, where where you could tell that it was a person in a in a costume. So. And the fact that every sure. few years there's a new TV show that, that gets access to the original footage and and uses the latest technology to scrutinize the footage and it just and all of these documentaries and so forth just further bolster the fact that it was a legit film and they're they're not finding anything to indicate it was a fake and they're not still to this day nobody can replicate the walk and look authentic and look natural like the subject in the film and uh, just recently, I think uh, the Monster Quest episode from 2007 or 2008, where they 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 got access to the original film, uh, not a copy. I think they got that from John Green up in uh, in British Columbia, and and they were able to determine that uh, towards the end of the film, after Patty looks back at the, at uh, Gilman and Patterson, once she straightens her head out and, and and takes off, she opened her mouth, either to breathe or to vocalize. I mean, that's something that that was brought out by recent technology. It's very clear as day that she opened her mouth. And that was a big, that was the big reveal on this, on this most recent Bigfoot show. And it was mind blowing to see it because, uh, 
I mean, I mean, TV shows with big budgets back then couldn't get a costume to do that. And if it was a fake, and if they did have access to a costume, they could do that. Why didn't they have her move her mouth when she was looking at the camera? Because that would have been this, you know, what else have a mouth that can move if you're not going to? So, all all of the uh, the scrutiny, the modern day scrutiny that's put on the film, just reinforces that it was. I mean, if I had to bet, no, it wasn't a person in a suit. Right. Yeah. So you have to say, well, um, where did she go and, and all that stuff? And I have no idea. And people who are skeptical of Bigfoot ask questions like that all the time. Well, how come they're, why can't we find them and all that stuff? I don't know. I don't think there are, I don't I don't believe that the population is, is very large. I think that they live right. a long time. They just don't have any predators except people, and they're, they know how to avoid us. They're, they're pretty good at it. And uh, they also blend in with their environment, which is something that, you know, every every description, I mean, Nine, nine out of ten descriptions of Bigfoot, uh, it, it's described as looking a lot like the, you know, a tree trunk. So uh, it's not like they're, it's not like they're supposed to be orange. Do so I have them something orange hide in the forest? But they're, they, they blend in perfectly. Yeah. Well, I have a yeah, hard time. There's a lot of. There's a yeah, lot I have of, a I mean, hard time place. believing Sasquatch is this serial killer in the woods. I think it, you know, I'm not, you know, I, I for one. We'll tell you right up right that Sasquatch is out there. What it is, I don't know exactly, but I don't believe it's a, a serial killer. Is it responsible for some of these missing people? Uh, perhaps. I mean, bears and cougars and, and people are responsible. People going out in the woods are responsible for their own demise or going missing. Uh, I, I don't think Sasquatch is actively hunting people or going out there. You know, it could be just, uh, you know, caught in the wrong place at the wrong time as a scenario and maybe they're po- you know maybe it's possible that Sasquatch has abducted people uh or or whatnot but uh you know the amount of people I mean there's thousands of people go missing a year thousands of people and most of them are solved most of them are f- found in good health uh they just you know took the wrong trail fell off a cliff whatnot there are there are though you know like with the missing 411 one books uh, by David Polides, there are missing people that uh, that are found or not found in uh, some very precarious situations and odd situations uh, and still can be explained. But I have a hard time believing that uh, uh, we are, are um, the, the target uh, when we're out in the woods uh, for a Sasquatch, I think it's it's much bigger than that. It's just in the wrong place at the wrong time. If Sasquatch is indeed doing this, which I mean, well, if Sasquatch you take, if you take a known animal, if you take a known animal like um, a bear or any type of bear, what happens when a bear attacks a person? The first thing that happens is there's a search party roundup and and they go kill the bear. And if you believe the Bigfoot exists, then if this thing had the uh, was in the habit of attacking people, then they would have been wiped out you know, centuries ago, because there'd be a search party each time, track them down, kill them, and they'd be extinct. So I don't think that they're in the habit of of, of, of attacking people, but there are some interesting stories, especially from, uh, you know, Teddy Roosevelt's book, and there's one here in Oregon, the Chetco River incident from about 100 years ago that's interesting, where apparently the things, I don't know, are they, are they wounded, do what they need to do to get food or, or whatnot, but yeah, I think the four and one people, I think most of them probably just got lost and died on their own because they, you know, they, which happens quite a bit, or um, or bears or mountain lions. But I I would think that if Bigfoot exists, it would not still be around if it was 
if it if it was targeting people. It would just be hunted down and wiped out. Right. Well, well I think in, in, in a lot of cases, you got cases like Ape Canyon, like the yeah. Fred Beck case, where where they shot the. I mean, the story is they shot at at one, and and uh, then they attacked the cabin. So I mean, if, if I I I fully expect. And that's the scary thing of going out, you know, go out in the woods, you have a confrontation with a Bigfoot, and you pull a gun on it. Maybe you shoot the one that's there, but my concern is not necessarily, I mean, besides the one that's there, you shouldn't just wound it and piss it off. Well, my policy, you know, when I go out in the woods, my number one policy is not to have a confrontation with a Bigfoot. Actually, I don't want to have a confrontation with (laughs) a Bigfoot. As a rule of of thumb. But, I mean, if you 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 shot a Bigfoot, my concern is, are there, you know, Bigfoot family units, the other one come in and, and uh, take you out. So, but. When I first it, had contact with Peter Byrne uh, on the internet, I think I found his email address like almost 20 years ago. And when I contacted him, he said, uh, what, what, what do you want with the Bigfoot? Would you shoot one? And I said, yes, with a camera, only with a camera. <laughs> and from that point on, that's that's what got him to to stay in touch with me because he's definitely against shooting one. He doesn't want to harm them. And that was the first question he had for me was, "Would I shoot one?" And I said, "Only with a camera." He liked that answer. <laughs> well, well, you know the 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 you know the the promo for the show is you know the human monster, and uh, you know the humans can be monsters in the woods or anywhere else, and some of these disappearances. I have no doubt in my mind they're due to just humans uh, taking out other other humans or humans uh, screwing themselves over by, um, you know, going off trail, flying off the cliff and whatnot. And, then, of course, you have these pot farms and drug dealers out there doing their thing. And, you know, if somebody walks into that scenario, they're, they're probably toast. You know, they're not prepared for that scenario. And so a lot of these missing people, I mean, I, I, you can't rule out without a doubt, that uh, they just dis- disappear from other humans. Call them monsters, call them what, but they're protecting what they're doing. Uh, so there's a lot of, uh, you know, all these missing people out there in the woods, uh, you know, and people screaming Bigfoot. Well, no, I, I'm not saying Bigfoot's not responsible for some of these missing people, but it, I don't, I, like yeah. you, Tom, I don't think there's a whole lot of uh, Sasquatch roaming out there. I don't think there's a whole lot of them, you know, uh, available <laughs> to see. It's a rare occurrence to become a cross one. So most of these well, missing think, pe- people and occurrences occur from uh, probably human, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, humans human being monster. stupid in the woods and not protecting yeah. themselves or, or, or uh, not so much protecting themselves, but taking the right precautions or, or, or whatnot. And then also you have, you know, these other uh, elements that could take you out with, you know, uh, pot farms, especially in Northern California, places like that. Yeah, which is why a lot of people, when, when we got legalized, there were a lot of people who were happy for obvious reasons. I was happy for not-so-obvious reasons. I don't want to worry about going off trail and, you know, stepping into a booby trap or getting shot with a machine gun because I stumbled into somebody's, uh, you know, illegal growth operation. Hopefully all those are going to be wiped out now that it's being, it's being legalized. Um, because and also if if you're open to the idea of Sasquatch existing, if one of these illegal operations, like in Northern California, and they shoot a Bigfoot, do you think they're going to go tell the police or the Forest Service? No, because then probably not. Then 
the, then their illegal growth operation will be discovered. So, uh, you know, so uh, that was something that I, uh, I don't know if I thought I would or if I read about that, that, that theory a long time ago and it kind of bothered me ever since because I thought that'll be just our luck is that there'll be a Bigfoot that's finally captured or something, but it'll be by some drug cartel and they won't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't think we have to worry about well, that anymore because it's legal. <laughs> well, not everywhere. Not but, as but, yet. <laughs> so, but yeah. So not not well, everywhere, I mean, but I think it, it's getting there. Yeah. So tell us tell us a little bit about. I mean, have have you had any Bigfooty kind of experiences or or experiences that you can't ex- easily explain away by you know known animals? No, I've had four experiences since I guess 1982. Um been a decent amount of time in the woods, so that's not really four in uh thirty three years isn't isn't a lot. Uh no. but they were four experiences and I didn't see what was going I couldn't see whatever was causing the the disturbances, but uh I was always with other people and we could not debunk it. It was uh, four really spooky, unusual experiences that were just really undebunkable. I mean there was no no explaining it unless there is something like a Bigfoot that behaves like Bigfoot's supposed to explain. But I have yet to see one. I think I want to see one, but then maybe I don't because you can't, you know, you can never go back. Like these experiences, I think that there's something to them, but I don't know for sure because I didn't actually see what was causing them. But if I actually saw and it was a Bigfoot, that would be, I don't know. I kind of debate whether I really want to see one or not because it would be uh, obviously life-altering. But it would explain to... Yeah, it would explain what you're witnessing or hearing. Uh, so, uh, you know, maybe perhaps you do want to see one, maybe from a distance. But what, what are what are some of these experiences that you've had? I mean, wood knocking, rocks thrown at you. Uh, you know, what, what exactly? Uh, the first one was the first one was up in uh, in Mount, at Mountain National Forest in late 1982. And I went up there with my stepdad uh, to Mirror Lake. I had gone up with a, uh, my seventh grade class, I don't know, a year or two prior to that for a field trip. And so that's how I knew about Mirror Lake. And uh, But I would skipped school that day, and uh, it was my stepdad's day off. And so we went up there for a hike, and there wasn't another car in the parking lot, the trailhead. And on the way up to the lake, the switchback trail, we didn't see anybody. Uh, we did a loop around the lake, and there was nothing, nobody... Uh, nobody at all. It was during the week, and uh, it was after the season was over. And, but once we left the lake and started to head back to the switchback trail, uh, something was obviously trying to hurt us out of the area quickly. And it was uh, Stuff was being thrown, branches were being broken, and it followed us all the way down the switchback trail. Um, never got on the switchback trail. We never saw it on the trail. We were sticking to the trail, but it was coming straight down. Uh, and it was keeping up with us, which I, I don't know how it could have done that. I don't know how, it, you know, what can, what can you know, switch into four-wheel drive like that, remain hidden, and be able to throw things, like, with hands. And it, it, it kept that up all the way until we were about probably 100 yards from the, the trailhead, and then it stopped, and it was terrifying. I mean, there was just nothing, you know, we, we couldn't explain it. It wasn't a mountain lion. It wasn't a bear. I don't think a person could have done everything that it did and keep up with us without staying on the trail. So I, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know 
I don't know what else. It wasn't a weather balloon. I know that. It was not a weather balloon. It wasn't any of the other condescending condescending suggestions that people make, such as, oh, maybe it was, you know, maybe it was a, a, a wolverine or whatever. You know, they can't throw things, okay? So, yeah. If they, you know, whenever I tell this story, I, instead of making condescending suggestions, if you think I'm lying or stupid, just tell me that you think I'm lying or stupid, but don't suggest it was a weather balloon or a wolverine after I just told you that it was throwing things at us, okay? Okay. <laughs> I, I, I don't think you're lying. I don't think it was a weather balloon either. No, I don't. I wasn't talking about you. I wasn't talking about you. I wasn't talking about you guys, okay? I was talking Tell about Joe really Skeptic. Joe, I was talking about Joe, Joe Skeptic. You know, yeah. now Wolverine well, know. can't pick up rocks and throw them. Yeah. That was the first one. And that, no, was, I mean, that was really scary. And I was with my stepdad. He was a lot older than me. And he was, he had, he wasn't a Bigfoot guy. I think he'd heard about this. You know, he, he knew what Bigfoot was supposed to be, but he wasn't into it. He didn't believe in it, but he was scared, very scared. And um, and that was the first one. And then nothing happened. I and didn't notice anything for probably until I think 2001. I started going back in the woods again uh, regularly after 9-11 to get away. And I was always with buddies. And we had, um, uh, did the right, I think it was in zigzag that area up at Mount Hood called the Riley Horse Camp Trail. Um, maybe it's in Welch's, and uh, I was with a friend of mine who was uh, graduated from Qatar University in the Middle East, and he he had never heard about Bigfoot, and we weren't talking about Bigfoot. We were just on a hike trying to get to this area that had burned a year earlier, and there were blackberries or uh, huckleberries everywhere. So we were on the hike, and, and before we got, I didn't even know it was a switchback trail because we had just started the hike, and I heard uh, these three whooping calls, from above us and since I hadn't been at the first switch yet I, I, I figured if it was above us it had to be from a tree and it scared both of us because it was super loud and I didn't recognize uh, you know the sound um, but we figured it had to be a bird because there could be nothing else above us and then about 15 seconds later we heard the sound of running obviously a person or something running and then in front of us about 50 yards somebody came into view it was a forest ranger that's when we realized it was a switchback trail and he had turned and was now on our section of trail and he was running at us and full speed. I mean, it, and I thought, okay, that's weird. Why is this guy running like this? But I thought, well, he's a forest ranger. So if there's any danger, he's going to tell us, well, he didn't even acknowledge us. He ran right through us. We had to jump apart or he would have bowled both of us over. And wow. right before we jumped apart, I start. I, I said like, is everything okay? You know, but, he didn't even acknowledge seeing us. He was just like, why does the sheet running full blast? Uh, never said a word. And I remember thinking, okay, that's weird. That's really weird. But I kept telling myself, if we were in danger, he would have told us. So we continued with the trail and nothing happened. But when I got home, I realized, you know what? That was a switchback trail that went straight up for a long distance. And those three whoops that I heard, you know, that could have been anything on the trail above us. And that could have been what scared this guy half to death. And, well, what else is known to make that kind of sound that would scare a forest ranger to the point where he's, you know, behaving like this guy behaved? I, I have no idea. I, there's only one answer that I can think of. He, and, he never locked and, eyes with you guys or anything? He just pretty much was out of there or what? No, he didn't He didn't see us. He was just, uh, I'm trying to imagine what would get me that scared to behave that way and, you know, I can only imagine, but this guy was just terrified. 
I've been back to that area a few times. I actually went back to I went to the ranger station, I think, in Zigzag, and I was trying to see if I could recognize this guy. Mm, I don't know if I'd be able to recognize him now, but uh, I'd love to talk to that guy. Well, if something kidding. happened, you know, and it, this the timing of the whoops and all that stuff uh, was there has to be something to it. But it was it was it was pretty terrifying. But it was it wasn't it was scary at the time. But I figured, hey, he would have told us if we were in danger. And I figured, you know, those whooping sounds would have to be birds. But you know, after I got home from my hike, I realized no. <laughs> they yeah, but he knew you guys were out there. I mean, he he knew. You mean you guys knew you guys were out there, correct? Well, I mean, we were right in front of him on this narrow trail, and he right. You had his, to jump apart. You know, yeah, we had to jump apart. So I mean, you know, I just I don't have you know. But he was he did he was running full blast in these huge you know these big solid hiking boots and. He was a forest ranger, and he was terrified, obviously. I mean, even without the running, just the look on his face, he looked like he, was, he saw a ghost. So. Mm, that's fascinating. But again, I didn't, the... I didn't see what made the whoops, and I didn't see what potentially scared this guy after death. So, uh, but what else? I mean, I don't think I don't think he. It was a chipmunk that scared him, so we can rule that out. <laughs> Unless it was a giant chipmunk. And I don't. I don't think he was running because he had to, you know, take a leak. Because I mean, we were in the woods, you know, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's three. So what's the fourth? Uh, no, that was not, that was the second one. That was the second one. The third one was uh, oh, sorry. up at Mount St. Helens. Uh, I was with a couple of buddies, and we just we're on the southeast side. Um, uh, the road that goes through Cougar, and then you go north to Morton or Randall. And we just went down a. It was in November 2001 or so, and we just took a got off that little two lane highway and, and went up a forest road about a mile. And um, and we stopped about a mile in, and it was this narrow road. It was really wet, and the road didn't have any had mud, and it, but there were no tire tracks. It didn't look like anybody had gone up there for a long time. That's why we chose that road. And it was really narrow, and we stopped the car about a mile in, and it was just dark, deep woods. And I was the first to get out of the car, and I slammed the door shut because I, I I just wanted we wanted to see and check out the woods and see if we could hear anything or see anything, but I wasn't expecting anything to happen. I slammed the door and I, I heard this, I don't know, coming from probably a hundred yards away. Um, what was it? Sound like something huge walking through the woods. And by the time I got my friend's attention and got him out of the car to listen, the sound had stopped. And so I was pointing to him and explaining what I'd heard. And, and about 15 seconds later, probably a couple hundred yards, uh, the opposite direction, uh, everything started again. And, Everybody panicked because, I mean, it was so loud across so much territory without making a sound. So we were completely spooked, and we got out of there. You know, we left. It was like, you know, Scooby-Doo, you know, when uh, when they get scared and they're running, but they, their legs are moving, but they're not really going anywhere. Well, we got in the car and we left, and pretty, I felt really stupid for, you know, for losing it like that. But uh, we went back the next evening, parked in the same spot, and my goal was to get down to where whatever this thing was was walking. And what I quickly found out was that it was walking in a um, in a little valley next to the road we were on. And it, we were probably six stories above this little valley. And it turned out to be an old abandoned uh, forest road, like a logging road. And it was crisscrossed with, with timber. So it took us probably a half an hour to, to hike down, you know, the, the six stories or however low we had to go. I mean, it was like 60 feet, 70 feet. Everything was so treacherous. It was just, everything was soaking wet. All the timber was rotting. 
you know, and I fell about 10 feet, and I had to get over this log, and as soon as I threw my leg over it, the thing broke. It was rotten. I fell about 10 feet. It cushioned my fall, though, because it burst as soon as it hit the ground, so it was like landing on a mattress. But by the time we got down to the forest floor, we realized that this thing had been, had crossed this vast area in just, you know, 30 seconds. And it would have taken me to cross that same, you know, space, I don't know, half an hour, because you'd either have to climb over one of the fallen trees or get on your belly and, and, uh, and roll underneath it. Um, and there was just no simple way anybody that's, Unless you're a minute bull, I guess if you're a minute bull, he could have, you know, he could have done it. Somebody like that, but you'd have to be extremely tall with long legs to be able to do it. And it was, it was amazing when I got down there. And when we saw the territory that this thing crossed, because we all knew it crossed it, and when we saw what it had done, it was. That's probably the most amazing thing I've ever experienced in my life was knowing that something had been able to do that. It was uh, mind blowing. And then the fact that it could make so much noise when it wanted to, the the floor that we were standing on was just like six inches of standing water. So if we jumped up and down, it was just a splashing sound. And all the all the branches and so forth were wet. So we tried to break them, and we really couldn't break any branches. But once this thing felt like it could walk normally again, um, you know, it was just like crash, boom. I don't have any idea how something how much something would have to weigh to be able to do that or how tall something would have to be to be able to go over those trees as quickly as it did, but it would have to be pretty damn heavy and tall. Interesting. I want to find that spot again, too. You know, I keep saying I'm going to go back and do that every year, but uh, I haven't been able to go back yet. It was it was pretty mind-blowing, and I've had people suggest that since it was hunting season, maybe it was like a line of hunters or something. I'm like, you don't understand. You don't understand. You didn't see it. You don't know. Um <clears throat> I understand when people are skeptical, but, uh, you know, we went down the next day and saw all the fallen trees and the fact, and, and I know, I already I already knew, you know, the, the territory that it had crossed. And to see it in person, um, what it had done was just, uh, you know, mind-blowing. And I'll go back one day. I want to go back. I really want to go back. It was a natural, like a natural throughway. It was, it was like, imagine one of those power, uh, power line trails. What do they call those things? But they clear the area for the power lines, utility lines. Except that it was just like that. It was nice. Yeah, it was a nice open area like that. It would just it was just had crisscross timber. So if you're tall enough to to step over that stuff, then it's a nice little clear shot to wherever you want to go. But if you're a normal sized person, then forget it. You have to get you have to crawl under, slide under, or or somehow get over the top. And 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 it was pretty spectacular. So that was the third. I, but again, I didn't see what was doing it. I just know right. something did, which that's enough for me. Knowing something did couldn't have been a person. Um, and the last was uh, in Northern California. I heard an actual scream, and it it was nothing like you know. I, I watched Finding Bigfoot and and all the all the Bigfoot documentaries, and people go in the woods, and I hear them scream, and they think they sound like Bigfoot, but they don't. This thing, well, the scream I heard was incredibly prominent and loud and organic and as soon as that scream stopped there were some kids nearby and they started trying to mimic it and they were you know within 100 yards of us and they were screaming all at once and the sound they made was like one percent of the original sound and it was much different than the original sound Um, and once everybody stopped screaming then there was a follow-up scream 
from the opposite side of where we were. And it was a much smaller version of the original, but it was just like the original. And it sounded like something was answering the original call. And it was spectacular, but the original call was so prominent. I felt like, you know, you'd have to be somewhere in Africa and have every rhinoceros at once, you know, scream into a megaphone or something. It was just this, it was like bionic. It was like a bionic scream. But it didn't sound human at all. And it certainly wasn't a mountain lion or a weather balloon or uh, anything else that's been suggested. It was, um, I'll probably never hear it again, but um, I got to hear it once and it was spectacular. And there's no person okay. that's going to mimic it. And when I when I hear people in the woods or see them, you know, on these shows and they're screaming and stuff, I I really think it's I I'm not going to tell anybody what to do, right? But I I think that you're not going to fool one. And it would be like if a Bigfoot tried to, you know, talk like Shane or Gunner, or me, you know, mimicking us, you know, you might be able to think that you sound like Gunner or Shane or Tom, but you're a Bigfoot. So you can't really sound like us, and all you're doing is giving yourself away, right? So if you're in the woods, if you want to scream, go ahead. And if you want to beat up a tree with a log and bash them together, go right ahead. But I, I don't know. Bob and Bob and Roger didn't do any of those things, and they had the best look of all. So I'm just going to go be nice and quiet. I'm not going to scream or beat anything up and uh, try my luck that way. And you bring up what a, what a fantastic point, uh, Tom, that you bring up is that you know, uh, I don't know exactly where these knocks came from as far as research is concerned, where, where people go out there and knock on trees and the whole nine. But, you know, most um, most people that have uh, encounters, especially sightings, they're not doing anything like that. I mean, how many uh, re- researchers out there have, can claim that they've had a sighting after, you know, perpetuating these knocks or howls? Almost none, and 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 the ones that do, you have to you know you have to ask the question, well, did you really see something? Um, yeah. Most of the time, it comes from your average person doing your average thing. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's just, I that's just... of, the first I ever heard of the wood knocking was from Finding Bigfoot, the Matt Moneymaker claiming that I've always said that they you know that they would not. Well, I've read all of John Green's books from the '60s, and he documents from. Canada, all throughout the United States, the Peter Byrne books, all these documentations, all these sightings. I've never read anything about wood knocking from the Native Americans or from anybody. It didn't, I, I never heard of that claim about Bigfoot's wood knocking until Matt Moneymaker on Finding Bigfoot. I have no idea where he got that information. Maybe he thinks they would knock. I have never heard of wood knocking before Finding Bigfoot, ever. But I, I, I do agree that that if you like, if I'm in the woods and I hear something knock on a piece of wood, I'm probably going to do it back. That doesn't mean it was a Bigfoot doing it originally, you know. Yeah, see, see, I, 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 I kind of disagree there though because if I hear something knocking, I, I may not uh, knock back. I may listen to see what's going on. Uh, I probably won't knock back. I mean, I rarely do knocks. I rarely do calls or yells because I don't like you. You mentioned earlier. What does that mean? We have no idea. I mean, you can speculate all day, but you have no idea what it means. Is a Sasquatch actually doing that? I have no idea. Um, you know, I had an encounter back in 2011 where I experienced all of that, and I did happen happen to have a sighting. So I correlated all that to one event, and that they did do that. But what does it mean? No idea. Am I going to try to 
that or try and mimic that. No, 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 no. I, I don't. That's not my approach. Uh, <laughs> we can speculate all day as to what a wood knock means, if that's what it is, or whatnot. But um, will, will that get you the money shot, the the sighting? No idea. Maybe. I, I, I don't think so. It's not worked out. Um, it's not worked out so far. You know, you may get a response, but what does that mean, a response? Uh, for all you know, you could be knocking back to someone else. So yeah. I don't uh, I don't jump aboard uh, the boat of well, knock for knock or whatnot or, or call for call. Uh, you may just be happy to be very lucky in hearing that stuff. And for my approach, is it, it's much better to uh, uh, listen and record what you're hearing and 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 the more recordings you get, maybe you'll get a pattern. Maybe you'll re- get uh, enough recordings or whatnot to maybe better speculate on what's going on. No idea that's true or not. But uh, to uh, I find that if you act like a a regular camper or a regular person in the woods, where most of these sightings and stuff occur or happen, that's the best idea when you're going out there. I mean, that's just my approach. Yeah, I I can't fault that. I think that's a good approach. I I just I like the idea of not trying to, you know, make a spectacle of yourself because I would think if they're shy, like any other animal, I would think if right. you know, if you're trying to attract a rabbit or a chipmunk into your camp and you're making a lot of noise, then you're probably going to defeat the purpose. Right. Well, I mean, I'm not actually hunting Sasquatch, so I'm not doing right, um, right, right. you know elk calls or or duck calls. You know, if I'm a hunter, you know that's some things that work. You know, you put a decoy out in the woods or in the water for a duck or elk. You, you know, you mimic their calls. You bring in the males and whatnot, uh, the bulls, and yeah, that works and that's proven. But nothing's been you know proven with Sasquatch work. calls. I What's tried that? something that didn't. I tried something that did not work. Geyer claimed that he put barbecue sauce on a tree. And, and that's how he got a Bigfoot. And I tried that, and I just got a bunch of bumblebees. <laughs> must, I must have done it wrong. I must have done it wrong. So you subscribe so you to the Rick Dyer school of Bigfooting. Is that what you're saying? I'm open-minded. <laughs> I uh, I thought, you know what, if, if it's barbecue sauce, if this trick works, I'm going to be rich. But I just got stung. <laughs> you just got stung. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh <clears throat> I, I, I guess, you know, the end-all, be-all is, you know, when you're out uh, claiming to be a researcher or uh, trying to record, you know, uh, be an observant person is to just do that. Uh, you don't need all the, the uh, who blob and whatnot when you're out there um, because there's nothing factual about the research of Sasquatch at this point. Uh, you have a lot of opinions and ideas, but there's nothing – out there that sticks to factual evidence. I mean, nothing is, you know, no one's knocked on a tree and got a Sasquatch to come up into their camp uh, that's been proven. You know, you've maybe had some occurrences, but no one's got that money shot yet. So all this stuff is speculation and whatnot, but I just know I can look at reports and recordings and uh, those that have been out in the woods have had sightings and whatnot and said, you know, look at that and go, Okay, what were they doing? What, what, how'd they get this sighting? You know, were they in the right place at the right time? Well, yeah, probably, perhaps, but they weren't out wood knocking. You know, maybe they were chopping wood and that sounded like a wood knocking. I don't know. Uh, but they, nothing points towards, you know, bringing a Sasquatch in or getting that sighting 
by wood knocking or yelling out calls, you know. Yeah, yeah especially, like I said, uh, the origin of this wood knocking seems to be with Matt Moneymaker because I have never been able to find another source, especially a historical source like any of the uh, any of the original reports that were documented by Peter Byrne or, or John Green. So that's why if I heard, if I was out camping or something and I heard wood knocking, I would most likely think that it was some person who had watched Finding Bigfoot and thought that the, that's how you attract one. That's why I'd probably knock back. But if anybody can point me in the direction of who, I mean, if there's a source before Matt Moneymaker on Finding Bigfoot, if there's a source that claims that uh, that Bigfoot would knock, I'd really be interested in reading it because I think it originated with Moneymaker. Well, the weird thing, I mean, I, I've heard what I would describe, I mean, would fall in the category of wood knocks. I don't know that that's what it is. I don't, I, I have a hard time with seeing a Bigfoot walking around all the time with a, a branch large enough to to uh, knock on trees. You know, I don't know. But there's, I I know that, that that's true. I think it did come out of uh, the BFRO, you know, people knocking on trees and it became kind of the, uh, this is what you do to get some kind of response. And people have had uh, things happen or had, you know, when when they do that. But like you say, that yeah, you, might get, a, you might get a response. But... It wouldn't surprise me if, if if they did knock, uh, would knock, if Bigfoot's really did that. It wouldn't surprise me. I'm just wondering how Matt Moneymaker found out. <laughs> because... Uh, that seemed to be news. I mean, that's that was that was news to me, and I'm pretty old, and I've read all this stuff, and I'm like, wow. You're that, pretty old. Who, who told him about that? <laughs> who yeah. told him about that? Like, I mean, you know, Albert Osman never said anything about wood knocks. You know, nobody um, right. in Canyon said anything about wood knocks. Nobody said anything about wood knocks until all of a sudden there's this TV show, and all of a sudden it's wood knocks, and it's a fact, and and they definitely wood knock, and it might, maybe it's true, but I'd really like to know, like, what's what's his source of info for that, but. Right. Well, he also. But it does, on, you know, that's a sound that really does carry a good long ways. It's like a whistle in the forest. The whistle right. carries longer than just about anything else, and so does a wood knock. So it'd be a great way to vocalize without really giving yourself away. I mean, if you're a bigfoot and you're and you're trying to avoid people, then you know, then vocalizing probably wouldn't be the best way to do it if you can avoid it. But then again, a wood knock. Who's to say what what made the wood knock and who's to say what that whistle was? You know. Right. Right. No, yeah, what without I a visual. Right. I haven't, I haven't heard a lot of reports of seeing Big Whistle or would not. I've never. I have never. Uh, there was a, I think I read a report um, from the late 1800s. It was around Antioch, California, if I remember correctly, which is east of the Bay Area. And uh, someone, uh, a miner or somebody like that, heard some whistling and then eventually saw a Sasquatch come into his camp and play with his, uh, he had some, some sticks that were burning and the Bigfoot was really interested in these sticks while the guy was hiding. And so he associated the whistling with the, with, uh, with the Bigfoot, but I've never, I've never read a report where a Bigfoot's actually seen whistling or wood knocking ever, never lots of other types of activity, but never whistling or wood knocking. But yeah, we we can refer to some of the native American stuff though, where they, they uh, have their mask and whatnot, which looks like they're, these masks are uh, whistling, and they refer to them as Bigfoot or Sasquatch, and they have many names for them. So, I mean, there's a, oh, there's a history of, of of that, but we've not actually seen, personally, a Sasquatch whistle or wood knock 
you know, all I can refer back to is, say, my encounter and some of the reports that uh, I've read, not with whistling per se, but uh, with wood knocks and whatnot, uh, you know, with a sighting. And those are rare. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. just rare. Yeah, I know those masks you're speaking of. I think they're in British Columbia. Yes, they're in the exactly. John Green. They, they're in the John Green books, and it definitely shows yeah. an ape-like face whistling. It's really, sp- it's really pretty freaky. Some of those masks are just, especially the origin, is supposed to definitely be the apes in the islands or the apes on the BC coast. Um, that was something else too, by the way. The feud between Peter Byrne and John Green, and and uh, the apes, the the term apes, where that was the common term. In Canada and BC, they referred to the creatures as apes, and John right. Green was upset because Peter Byrne, uh, in, in Peter Byrne's books, uh, he was calling them human-like. But I think it's it's really funny because that was part of the feud, and yet uh, in both cases, uh, John Green and Peter Byrne were simply printing what was described to them. In Canada and BC, people would say ape-like because that's how you described them in that territory, right. and and in our territory, they were described to Peter Byrne as human-like because. They were human-like because they walked on two feet. But that just goes to show how divisive this issue is because something that kind of simple just turned into a lifelong feud or helped what was already a feud get even worse between those two guys. (laughs) Yes, which I think helped launch the uh, online feuds that go on nowadays is the uh, feuds and and diversiveness, (laughs) unfortunately. We got uh, oh, so many so varying, yeah, so Back many varying opinions. Uh, yeah. Are they paranormal? Are they uh, flesh and blood? Absolute, uh, you know. And um, that's why I don't venture into that 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 realm per se. You know, I, I, it's pointless. Uh, we don't know much, if anything, about Sasquatch. You know, some of us claim to know that they exist, and that means little. Uh, what are they, and what? do they do and what are they attributed to do uh it's uh it's a pointless argument and conversation until we know all of the facts until we have a specimen or a subject or something absolute i'd set up for just a high quality that'd be nice pardon we're just gonna we're we're just about out of time you guys so wrap it up i know just happen we get together tom and things time just flies like we went and stepped through a portal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, portal. You would bring up portals. What's next? <laughs> so on, on that note, I, w- I want to thank our guest, Tom Boyd, uh, for joining us today. And uh, if you want to check out his website, it's, it's www.zodiackiller.com. Lots of cool information about uh, that you won't find anywhere else about the Zodiac Killer. And... Uh, Appreciate you coming on, Tom. Thanks, buddy. Hey, thanks for the invite, you guys. See you at Hop Squatch, right? We will. We are Hop Squatch this month, so we're gonna, our group's going to do the presentation. Woo-woo. Oh, I'm definitely going to show up then. Just keep me away from that so, super dog. Nine <laughs> percent? So, no way. I can't do that at noon. <laughs> thanks, guys, and thanks to to my co-host and core Shane for. Uh, Join us again this Sunday, and we'll see you next Sunday at 4 o'clock Pacific on Monster X Radio. Until then, we'll keep it squatchy.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.